0: This podcast is brought to you by White's Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. All right, can we go ahead and get started. I know family's got a lot, lot to go, a lot to cover. So, can we we'll just go ahead and have a prayer and get started? Father, we just want to tell you that we love you so much and we thank you for all you do for us. And I just thank you for Pam and her heart and her willingness to teach and to and, uh, bring new ideas and new things to us. And we're so grateful for that. And we just pray that you'll be with her and give her the spirit she needs to be able to say exactly what you want her to say. Uh, Father, we love you and thank you for all that's here. We just pray that we'll be, uh, you'll be glorified in all we do. Just through Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. <laughs> I want to welcome you to our third class together. Can you believe it's already week three? It's fine. I get so excited. I don't think you guys understand how excited I got last week. I, I, was so, I get so excited when I have a chance to tell this stuff that last week I just about blew a gasket. I really did. And um, if I pass out up here, please don't call 911. Just splash some cold water on me and give me a minute, but don't call 911. I don't want to go to the hospital, but I just want to do a quick review to get us up to speed. Um, We talked about our wilderness wanderings, and I think that touched everybody's heart because we all have those wilderness wanderings, and I told you guys that our wilderness wanderings are the worst times of our lives and the best times of our lives. They're the worst time because why? Who had the purple cards from the very beginning what are our wilderness journeys like they're desolate they're dry they're dusty lonely Lonely. Mm -hmm. anybody else remember margaret what was yours arid (laughs) Arid. (laughs) frustrating and so who has one inhospitable and so they're terrible terrible times because of all of those reasons but they're the best times of our lives because it's the time and the only time in our lives in those wilderness wanderings when God and God alone reaches down to our deepest need. Don't you guys agree? I mean, it could be a 20 or 30 year span of time, right? Those wilderness wanderings last so long. But it's where we meet God at our, at our greatest need. Um, where he gives us just enough. Who has the fluorescent green cards? Just enough hope. hope. Just, enough just enough shade. Who else? Who has the third one? Just enough courage. Just enough courage. Just enough water. Just enough, water. Just enough spiritual food. And just enough strength. strength. And just enough. And I mean just enough. Right? That, that's just. It's just a time in our lives when we just think we cannot make it through another day, but He gives us just enough to make it through another day. Look at you, you're still here, right? We're like, yay God, you've gotten us here. And God and God alone has done that. And when we're mature enough, and when through that wilderness journey, He, he draws things out of us that we don't need, and He builds and matures us, then and only then does He slowly lead us out of that wilderness and he always leads us out of bondage into worship. Isn't that cool? You can't forget that because that's what he was teaching his children. He brought them out of bondage into worship and that's our challenge and that's what we learn when we're in that wilderness, wilderness journey. We talked about, I I introduced all of you guys to the name of Aloh Lamb. Does anybody remember Uh, what that name means. I passed those out on yellow cards last week, and I... Hi, Annette! (laughs) That's okay. I can still remember riding to school with her a couple of times. I don't know if you remember that or not. I thought she was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And she is. Yes. Yes. So anyway, what does lamb mean? Who remembers the yellow card? Yes, the God of the Big Picture. What else? The yes, the ageless God. What else? Everlasting. everlasting to everlasting. God eternal. And when you start getting a grasp, a grasp, when you start sinking your teeth into these descriptive names of God, all of a sudden He's just not three little word, black words on a white page, you know? You see the word God in your Bible and sometimes it doesn't conjure up much. Am I the only one? And then you start realizing these names, God, the God of the big picture. It's awesome. It's just like this little kid and his brother lived in this house and the side of their yard met Main Street. And his parents didn't like the traffic on Main Street, so he put up a big wooden fence and a parade was coming to town. And they were so excited because they wanted to see this parade. And their mom said, no, 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 can't see the parade today. I've got too much to do. I'm not taking you out to the parade. So the little boys ran to the fence. They couldn't see over it. It was tall. The bigger brother said, get on my shoulders, Junior and I will lift you up. And there was a knot hole at the top of that fence. And that little kid looked through that knot hole. He said, "Oh, Jimmy, here's the parade. There's the fire truck. One thing at a time. Oh, here comes the here comes the patrol car, and they could hear it. Oh, here comes the band. Here comes the the trumpets, and the what else is in the band? And uh and the cymbals." Here it comes. Oh, and here's the cheerleader, one cheerleader at a time. Oh, here's the baton twirler. She's got fire on her baton. And they saw the parade, one piece at a time. Isn't that how we see our lives? One heartache at a time. One sorrow at a time. One setback at a time. One victory at a time. One financial loss at a time, but not God, Elo, Lamb. He sees the whole parade from beginning to end, just like he sees your life. From before conception to eternal, to eternity future, he sees your life. And if you can get a picture and you can understand that God sees me where I am and I'm in this wilderness and I'm hurting and God's going to meet my need because he's the Lamb, the God of the big picture, then you start relaxing a little bit, right? You start relaxing a little bit, knowing that God has a plan and He's got it under control. I just love that. I also introduced you to Elohim. Say that. Elohim. 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 Who can remember? Yes, Elohim is the mighty and awesome, powerful God of creation. And Elohim created. And Elohim created. And Elohim created. He's the God awesome and mighty in creation. The God who swore a covenant. A what? A covenant with himself. For there was no one greater by which to swear that he would never stop his work, never stop his labor until all things are restored and made whole. Isn't that the best thing you've heard? That God is working. God is working. He's the covenant-making God and he's the covenant-keeping God and we can rest in that. It is so awesome because we think sometimes about contracts and God did not enter a, into a contract with us. What is a contract? It's an exchange of what? Purple, I passed out purple cars. Property. Property. Land. 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 Houses. Houses. Furniture. Yes, furniture. Five. Cars. cars. <laughs> Six. Duh. That's right. Duh. That's, that's a contract. But a covenant says what, Kim? Say it again, class. I will be yours, and you will be mine. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus and His church. And I want to talk just a minute, if I could, this morning, about um, a first-century custom that can be maybe is very odd to some of you. In these Old Testament days, especially during the days of of, the, of Jesus when He was walking around on the earth, um, <clears throat> kids did not date or hang out or hook up like kids do today. And I think if I can explain to you um, this first century proposal tradition, I think it's going to help the ending of our class go a lot better. But um, young people in the first century culture were very protected. Young women were very protected. And especially were protected from sex outside of the marriage covenant. Because fathers understood I think sometimes to a greater degree than, than we do in our culture, that, they, that, that their children, their young girls especially, were vulnerable, right? And so they weren't allowed to be with a member of the opposite sex, and they certainly weren't allowed in a good Jewish community to ever participate in sex outside of a marriage covenant. And, and what I want you to understand is these girls generally were married at the age of 13 or 14, young, young. And we kind of think, ooh, that, you know, that's really sick. Well, th- don't we kind of think that? But what what I want you to think about for just a minute in our culture is, and maybe not so much in strong Christian homes, but in our American culture, many of our young girls, 13 and 14, are already involved in sexual sins with no protection. I don't mean no protection. I don't mean condoms or the birth or the birth control pill. I mean, they have no protection of the of the father. And and so we lo- we're like, oh, 13 or 14. To be married is horrible, but we rub elbows in a culture that is so grossly immoral, and we don't really think that much about it. And I don't, you know, and I just, I've, I've just heard, we are, what we are not teaching our children, especially our young girls. Me and my father were talking last night about, about just the how men are wired. So different from how girls are wired. And I said um, men play at love to get sex and young girls play at sex to get love, right? I'm going to say that again. Men, young men play at love to get what? Sex. And young girls play at sex to get love. And who gets hurt most of the time? And so in this first century world, Although we although we say oh that's so sick, the only thing worse is how we do it. So I want you to understand that um, that the first century culture is going to tie into the end of the lesson. But what what I want to say first is there's there's not too many things more precious in the life in the life of a woman than when the man she loves brings to her a black golden I mean a black velvet box and opens it up and perhaps gets down on his knee and says, Oh, baby, oh, darling, I love you so much. Will you be mine? Will you marry me? Isn't that beautiful? I wonder how many in here got proposed to that way. I mean, I certainly didn't. I would imagine if we shared our stories, some of them would be so romantic. Some of them would be just absolutely hilarious. And some of them would, would lack a certain amount of romantic zeal. But at any rate, we get it, right? In our culture, if I open a box and show you a beautiful engagement ring, we get that. That's not how it happened in the first century. And I want to take just a minute and explain to you how that happened. And that, in those times, um, when a man was ready to get married, he would simply talk to his father and say, Dad or Father, I think that I'm ready to be married and to start a family. And I've been thinking maybe that Rachel down the road would make a good wife. And the Papa would say, well, Benjamin, we've known Rachel her whole life, and we've known her family many, many generations. And, you know, we've noticed that Rachel's growing up, and she's a hard worker, and she's polite, and she knows how to honor her father. So let's get together, you and me, Benjamin, and go visit Rachel's father. And so Benjamin knew what to do. He got the wine and he got a cup. And together, Benjamin and his father would make a visit to Rachel's house. Now, believe me, when Rachel's mom looked out the window and saw Benjamin and his dad coming down the lane with a cup and a jug of wine, she knew what was happening. We wouldn't. But in that culture, she knew. She was tearing through that house. Rachel, Rachel, Benjamin's coming down the house with his papa. And all the little kids would be giggling and laughing and peeking out the window. And Benjamin and his father would knock on the door. We need to speak to Rachel's father. And the papa would come out. And the two men, Rachel's papa and Benjamin's papa, walked a long way from the house. And Benjamin stood there, sweaty palms, as he watched the two patriarchs fighting and dickering and and shouting over the bride price because the bride price had to be paid to Rachel's parents because it was a great loss to lose a daughter in this culture. Can anybody guess why it would be a great loss? Pardon me? A worker! They didn't have electric. Water had to be hauled. Sheep had to be tended. They were going to lose a great helper. And so they were discussing the bride price. It wasn't the selling of a bride, but it was expensive about the price of a house. And so Benjamin is standing there, heart pounding, watching these two men come up with the bride price. And when the two old Jewish patriarchs held their head back, gave each other a hearty hug, Kiss each other on the cheek. Benjamin's like, Whew, yes. And they come back to the house and they say, Oh, Benjamin, you rascal, you. It's done almost. Let's go get Rachel. And so Rachel is fetched from the house with Mama and all the siblings and Grandma and Grandpa because, see, marriage in that culture was a family affair. Okay? It wasn't just, Two folks in love, we don't care what mom and dad think. It was a family affair. And so the papa, Benjamin's papa, would take the wine and simply pour it in the cup and he would hand the cup to Benjamin. Rachel would come and stand in front of Benjamin with all of the family. And Benjamin, with sweaty hands and a pounding heart, would look at Rachel and say, This cup is a new covenant. A new what? Uh, What's he saying to Rachel? Yes, this cup, Rachel. She's like 13. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. I love you. I will... Live for you, Rachel, and if I'm called to do it, I will die for you. Oh, baby, will you be mine? She simply has a choice. Rachel can simply say without a word and walk to the house. Or Rachel can take the cup from Benjamin and without a word can drink that cup Her way of saying, I trust you and I love you and together we'll build a family. I'll live for you. I'll bring you honor. That's what she can say when she drinks the cup. Guess what, kids? They're married. They're married. And Benjamin, everybody's hooting and hollering, yay, 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 yay. And Benjamin grabs Rachel's hand and says, i got to return with my dad to build a, a, a room for us on the back of Papa's house. But I'm coming back for you. And then I'm going to take you to my father's house. Sounds familiar? Picking up on that? It's a beautiful, beautiful story of a first century wedding proposal. It is so great. Now, what I want us to see, if I can find out where I am, as I want, that's all. Just put that in your hmm box and think about it while we quickly review what we did last week, okay? Last week, Moses appears to the discouraged slaves, okay? The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, get ready. Get ready because God has sent me with a message and I've got four promises for you. Number one. Do you guys remember them? Number one. Who's got the gold sparkly card? Number one. Bring I'll bring you out. Number two. I will set you number three. I will you. Number four. Very good. Those are the four promises that those discouraged slaves did not believe God for. You know, guys, sometimes we don't believe God for His promises because of our discouragement. But Moses leaves them to think about that, and he goes and he appears before Pharaoh, and he says to this strong man, the most powerful man in the nation, God has sent me to tell you, let my people go. And Pharaoh digs his heels in and says, Not on your life. So Moses leaves, and for the next nine months, God rains down ten mighty plagues, and we're gonna focus on nine of them. Number one, water to blood. God attacked the Egyptian God of the Nile. And God, god won. Wait a minute. Let's do that again, because I'm lost here. Plague one. God attacked the Egyptian God of the Nile. All together. And God won. Two. God attacked the Egyptian goddess of birth, whose image was the head of a frog. And God God won. Three, lice. God attacked the Egyptian god of the desert. And And God 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 won. Number four, flies. God attacked the Egyptian god of reproduction, represented by the image of a fly. And God God won. Number five, death of the livestock. God attacked the Egyptian bull
1: god, the symbol of fertility. And God God won. Number
0: six, boils. And God, God won. God. Number seven, hail. God the Egyptian gods, so the sky.
1: And God, God won. God. Number eight,
0: locust. God the God of and, fertility. and God, God won. God. Number nine, darkness. God the Egyptian God and, and God, God won. God. Isn't that awesome? You just were learning these plagues as you were kids, and you just thought these were random plagues. And then you grow up and you're like, whoa, there was a point to that. God was showing his strength over the powerful gods of the Egyptians because his people thought their God, Elohim, although they worshipped him and tried to stay connected to him through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they thought certainly our God is weak. These Egyptian gods are powerful for they've kept us in bondage for 430 years. Do you ever feel that? My addiction is more powerful than God. My marriage is worse than God is strong. And God is saying, I am the God. I am the God most high. I am the God who's working to bring you out of this wilderness and to worship. That's what we miss so much in our lives. I'm telling you. Now, after the ninth plague, God goes, Moses, excuse me, goes back to the people and says get ready because God's going to give the tenth plague. And the the firstborn son in every house is going to be slain by the avenging, avenging death angel if there's no blood on the doorpost. So take your Passover lamb, perfect lamb, strong, clear eyes, straight legs, Healthy. Live with this lamb for four days. Examine him. Make sure he's perfect. And on the fifteenth day of Nisan, slaughter the lamb and take the hyssop branch and sprinkle the blood over the doorpost. And watch. And watch. Watch for God is gonna do what? He's gonna bring you out. He's gonna set you free. He's gonna redeem. You guys gotta learn him. He's gonna make you his own. Number one, again, Larry. Okay, one. Bring you out. He's gonna bring us out. Two. Three. Four. Very good. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get. It. We're learning. We're learning. So God's people, God's humble slave people, took their Passover lamb, slaughtered the lamb. And they were eating the Passover lamb and eating the unleavened bread and drinking wine and getting ready and they were going to leave in haste. They were going to leave and they're out in their little houses inside watching, watching. They're frightened. God, They've seen the power of God and they're wondering, is God going to remember us? The avenging angel is coming and God told them, watch. He said, watch, for I've watched over you, for I never sleep, I never slumber. Get ready, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to make you my own special people. And they're in little dim -lit 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 lit house, no fluorescent lights, just a little candle. And they're listening and they're watching and across the horizon. In the gated communities of Egypt they hear one bloody curdling scream after another as those Egyptians are discovering their slain children and they're screaming and they're screaming and Pharaoh proud and arrogant stumbles out broken and humble as he, as he holds his son and he tells Moses get out, get out, take your flocks and your herds and your children and your old parents and leave this place. And that night, 430 years to the day of their bondage, God set them free. They left with the wealth of Egypt. The people were petrified that this Elohim God would kill them all. Take our gold. Take our silver. Take our earrings. Take our necklaces. Take our fine fabrics. Take it all. Just get out. Get out. And they left that night by the power of the living God. Give God a hand. Give Him a hand. He told his people, remember this night. Remember this night, because in the Hebrew way of thinking, to remember as an intense focus that allows that memory to shape us, change us, and direct us. Keep this Passover. Remember, remember this, and all through the story, This whole chapter of God's amazing revelation, the word remember just seasons it all. He says, remember that I kept my four promises. I brought you out, I set you free, I redeemed you and I made you my own. Remember the ten plagues that I rained down, showing that I'm more powerful than the gods of the Egyptians. Remember the avenging death angel that took the firstborn of anyone without the blood of the lamb on their doorpost." Remember you left with the wealth of Egypt. Remember you crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And remember you watched Pharaoh's war machine drown in that water. And you watched their bloated bodies wash ashore. Remember. Remember this. Tell your children. Remember. And that's what we need to do. And I hope by now you've told your children. Woo! Change gears. Now, from this point on, we're going to fast forward. All I want you to do is fast forward 1,400 years. Okay? It's easy to do. 1,400 years when a new Passover lamb was born. That's what I want to focus on now. A new Passover lamb was born in the city of David in the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. How awesome that the bread of life would be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Let me tell you something. God... Almighty, left heaven and packed his bag, so to speak, and entered the warm, wet, living, vibrant womb of a young Jewish virgin girl named Mary. And there the God of the universe was born, and they named him Jesus. Jesus started his uh, public ministry at age 30. That's Trent's age. I saw Trent the other day, and I thought, 30 years old. This is how old Jesus was. When he started his public ministry. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, you guys know what he said. Look, behold, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We hear that and we think, Yay. What did this what did these people think? They heard the Lamb of God. They they say they they're like, Yeah, we know what the Lamb of God is about. They were delivered by the Passover Lamb of God. It had great meaning for them. You know, when I was a kid, and I'm not much of a singer, I'm going to sing for you this morning. (laughs) When I was a, a kid, that's why it's so important that you get your kids in Sunday school, I learned a song, and I couldn't have been over four or five maybe. And if you know it, sing along with me. Jesus went about doing good, the Bible tells me so. He healed the sick and he healed the blind. To little children he was kind. He gave some hungry people food. Jesus went about doing good. The Bible tells me so. Isn't that wonderful? That's why when you teach your kids, they never forget it. But let me tell you something. Jesus did more than do good. He proclaimed that he was the son of the living God. I want real quick to tell you about the fact that he had 12 boys. And you know this had 12 disciples. They lived with him. They followed him. He taught them. They wanted to be like their rabbi. And these 12 disciples celebrated three Passover meals at least with Jesus. But I want to focus on the fourth. I want to focus on the third one. I want to focus today on their last Passover meal together. Now, you know what a Passover meal is like because we've been over it for two weeks. You know they're going to have roast... I think I'm giving the answers away. Who can tell me what the meal was like? I'm getting ahead of myself. I have red cards that I've passed out. Who can tell me what they were eating on this last Passover meal? Number one. Roasted lamb. Very good. What? To remember their deliverance by the blood of life. Lamb. Roasted lamb's on the menu. Number two. Bitter herbs. To remind them of their years of bitter, bitter herbs is on the menu. What's three? Great. What else was on the menu? Four cups, of wine. Four cups of wine. Let me tell you something. For 1,400 years, and I, I will tell you the true, they did not always celebrate these faithfully because they're just like you and me, and they stumbled and they fell, and they did not always celebrate God's Passover faithfully. But by the time of Jesus, they were on the right track again. And these young men that were with Jesus had celebrated Passover every year of their lives just like you celebrate Thanksgiving every year, and you guys get Thanksgiving, right? You know about the pilgrims. You know about it all. These guys got Passover. And every when they were sitting there around that meal, every piece of food, every drink, every promise was a picture, a picture, a picture, which the reality is going to be found in Jesus Messiah. I want you to remember that. The four cups of the Passover meal, there were four cups of the Passover meal. Can anyone take a stab at what these four cups were a picture of? Number one, Larry. I've already done it. <laughs> nice. I will bring you out. Number two. I will you. Yes, number three. I will redeem you. Number four. I will make you my own. The four cups were the four promises. When God told his ancient people, get ready. And at these Passover meals, there's unleavened bread. There was bitter herbs. There was Passover lamb and four cups. Let me tell you something. At that last Passover meal, Jesus did something different. He starts to show his boys that he is part of the Passover meal. Say that. He is part of the Passover meal. God, what Jesus is trying to do with these boys and with us is tell us that Jesus came to deliver us from something much worse than political oppression. He came to deliver us from what? Anybody have the black cards? I didn't think I passed those out. They must be in my envelope. He came to deliver us from, say it after me, sin, Sin. hell, Hell. Death, death, and the grave. That's what Jesus came to deliver us from. Our Passover lamb. Jesus, our Messiah. So they're eating this meal together. Did the boys get it? No, they didn't get it. I mean, I'm 54 and I still don't get half of the stuff I'm studying. But they would later. And that gives me hope because I dig out things. I know on things. I fall on my face and say, Lord, I want to learn. Can't you show me? And he says, you're not ready yet. But I get it later when I'm ready. These boys didn't get it, but they would later. That's so awesome. So I want to talk real quick about this how this Passover meal begins. Zach, start out the Passover meal. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's so beautiful. Say it again, Zach, with a lot of passion. (laughs) Heroes. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's that's how a Passover meal started. And then what they would do is they would tell the Passover story, just like I told you. Why would they why would they take the time to tell the Passover story? Remember. To remember! Because he knows we forget. And then they would have the blessing of the first cup. I will bring you out. Yes! You're learning! Yes! <laughs> Yes, give Larry a hand. Woo, Larry! I will bring you out. And they said, yes, God brought us out. And they drank to the first cup. It's so awesome. <laughs> and then they would have, the, the bread. then the bread would come along. Now, look, this was, this was their eating utensil. They dipped this in the bitter herbs, and they dipped, they dipped this in everything. So they understood that this was part of the Passover meal. And the unleavened bread came to represent a sinless bread. Yeast always represented what? So when they're going to have unleavened bread, bread with no yeast, it came to represent sinlessness. And so Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, This is my body. Do this and remember me. They're like, Whoa, that's weird. Because we never have done that before at Passover. Because Jesus is showing them that he is woven into the Passover story. Beautiful. Did they understand that night? No, they said, that, you know, the rabbi has been weird before, right? I mean, you, honestly. He, he teaches in and riddles. And he, but, th- you know, this is just another one of our rabbi's weirdnesses. And so they probably didn't give it a lot of thought, but they would later. And after that, then they would have a second cup. I will set you free. I'll set you free. And they're like, oh, yes, God set us free. Egypt, 1,400 years ago. Maybe Rome this time. Because they were under Roman domination, right? Yes. Because celebration, I mean, Passover was such a time of celebration because the whole feast was centered around the fact that they were redeemed. And they're like, yes, the second cup, maybe this year. It's going to be Rome. And that was their heart. Very good. Okay. So then comes the third cup. I I will redeem you. This is really, really cool about this third cup because Jesus left the traditional liturgy when it came to the third cup. Usually, Jesus would have said, Blessed oh blessed are you, O oh Lord our God, King of the universe, Creator of the fruit of the vine. That's generally what he would say. But he didn't say that this time. He picked the cup up and he said, This cup is a covenant, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whoa. What did I just teach you guys at the beginning of this class what that was? That was a marriage proposal. And they're like, whoa. Did they squirm? Mm -hmm. Were they embarrassed? Mm -hmm. What were they thinking? They did not understand, but they certainly would understand later. They later would understand that Jesus is saying, "I'm going to covenant with you." What does that mean, Kim? It means I will be yours. And- Jesus is saying, I love you with a pure, passionate love that a groom has for his bride. I can't think of any other way to tell you how much I love you, but that I'm willing to die to make you my own. It's powerful. We miss it. They didn't understand it. After the meal was finished, they sang their hymn. It was always the ending of the, of the Passover meal. And Jesus and his disciples got up. Was it day or was it night? Huh? It was night. How do we know? Passover was always celebrated under the full, first full moon of spring. So it was night. They left the upper room, entered the darkness, and they crossed the Kidron Valley under the creepy glow of a full moon. It's not a long walk through the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane where they were going. But the disciples had just had a meal, right? Lamb, unleavened bread, four cups of wine. They were picking Passover lamb out of their teeth and they had had four cups of wine and they're young and they're slamming each other the way young men do and tripping each other and boxing each other. They don't notice that their rabbi is very quiet a heavy walk for him as they walk to gethsemane for please understand me very very close time to when his passion would begin they're just having a great time they get to gethsemane and gethsemane means olive press say that they get to the garden and they go to a gethsemane which is a room where this huge huge olive press is stored and it's called a sea it's a base and all these olives are dumped on this huge stone base and this huge wheel goes around and around and crushes the olives to produce the oil. And these olive presses, these, these seas were housed in little buildings, generally in the side of a hill or underground. Probably someone said, Hey, Jesus! It's not olive production time. That comes in the fall. I'm not using my Gethsemane now. You and your boys can camp out there during Passover. For Passover was so packed and crowded and I'll have a chance to tell you why later. I didn't have enough time to tell you that. So Jesus and his boys make the walk through the Kidron Valley under a full moon and they get in there and Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, come keep watch with me. And they're like, oh, didn't we keep watch with him last year? Ask Philip or ask Matthew because they're tired, right? It's night. Their bellies are full. And they've had wine. And they just want to sleep. And Jesus says, come keep watch with me. Oh, they watched. Look, guys, they've kept watch their whole life. Nothing ever happened, right? I mean, year after year. And so this year they don't expect anything to be any different. They go out. They're supposed to keep watch. Because God said 1,400 years ago, watch, watch, for God watches over you. He never sleeps, nor does he slumber. And they go right out there, Peter, James, and John, and they slumber. They fall fast asleep. You would have too, and I would have too. And Jesus goes about a stone's throw away. And there in the darkness, he's all alone. God's Passover lamb is all alone and under the silhouette of those ancient olive trees, God's Passover lamb with the weight of the world on his shoulders hits the ground and he says, I have one more cup to drink, one more cup. And he knows that he has the cup of suffering before him. And he falls on the ground and he grabs those gnarly olive roots and he and he thinks of that cup and he says, No, not that cup. I can't drink the cup of your suffering, God. I can't drink that cup. Please, Father, let that cup pass. And there he cries bitterly in the darkness all alone. The eerie moon and he feels the death angel on his neck and then he gets up and he squares his shoulders he lifts his head and he wipes his tears off and he says father not my will but your will be done and he drank that cup and in the darkness of that night he looked across the horizon and he saw judas with his band of soldiers as they held their torches and they came up to Jesus and they kissed him on the face and they bound him and they arrested him and he drank that cup. And they dragged him to the Sanhedrin where they had a mockery of a court and folks lied about him and smacked him on the head with a staff and he drank that cup of suffering. They shoved him to Pontius Pilate where he's like, oh, I know he's innocent, but if it's my skin against his, he's out of here. And they whipped him with an awful heavy whip until his back was like dripping bloodied hamburger and Jesus drank that cup. And they put a crown of thorns upon our Passover lamb's head and a, and a robe on his back and they snatched out big chunks of his beard and Jesus, God's Passover lamb, drank that cup of suffering. They put a heavy cross on his shoulders till he could carry it no more took him to Golgotha and spread him out on a Roman cross and nailed his hands and his feet and he drank that cup. They lifted up God's Passover lamb and suspended him between heaven and earth and when that cross banged into that hole, his body jarred and he screamed out in pain and he drank that cup. And there he bled out, satisfying a covenant very, very ancient and there he bled out. And on that cross at three in the afternoon, with the skies growing dark and clouds rumbling, God's Passover lamb screamed out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in God's silence, he said, There is no protection for you tonight, my son, for you are my Passover lamb. Four sinners slain and you must die to set the people free. And I'm telling you, those who he sets free, say it with me, are free indeed. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and your Passover lamb died. That is a heavy lesson, isn't it? but I'm not done. And I have to be done in two, three minutes. Today, please hear me before you shag out of here. Today, when you're sitting in your church with your church family and that, and that communion tray passes before you, you take that unleavened bread and don't gobble it down like you usually do. You take that that piece of unleavened bread, the sinless bread of Jesus your Messiah, and you realize that He was striped for you. He was beaten for us. He was pierced for us. And you eat that bread and you praise God for the sinless Passover lamb that He sent to redeem us from hell, sin, death, and the grave. And when that cup, that tangy juice comes before you, you remember this picture. Don't suck that stuff down. Pass that tray on and hold your juice. You can clean it up later. You hold that cup in your hand and you remember the proposal. The proposal where Jesus says, I love you. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. I want to covenant with you. I want you to be mine and I want to be yours. Will you be my church? And if you drink that cup, you have accepted the invitation to be the bride of Christ. And your challenge is you leave this place today to bring your Savior glory. And you live in your homes to bring him praise. and you teach your children all about your Passover lamb. Where does it begin? In the home, guys. In the home, take that juice, drink that juice, Live for your king. Go from this place and shine for your king Jesus. We will shine for our king Jesus. Let it, begin at, home. it will begin at home. Very good. Next week, unleavened breads can blow you out of the water. Thank you guys, you're such a good audience. been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.